Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we are looking at The Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright. And today we stare into the convex mirror and find the teeny tiny soul of Captain America. That's right. Today we were talking about Minute 119, which begins with Cap lost in a looking glass and ends with Cap <laughs> lost in his thoughts. Back on the show, we have Father David Maori. Uh, hello, Father David. Jens, hello. So good to finally see you. I, I, I got to tell you, the travel agent that you recommended to get from Stuttgart to New York, they had me take so many connecting flights that I barely got here. And I was flying into JFK and all of a sudden the captain comes on and said, there's all kinds of interference. But I didn't feel any turbulence, but I, I saw all these crazy aliens flying around outside the window. I, I think we were lucky just to, to find a runway in order to get into the airport. Especially Holy since you've cow. been flying for like four months. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm so happy to be on the ground. I tell you what. Uh, and especially since there's the Quinjet is like taking up the runway too. Like that, exactly. yeah, I think Loki's pilot left it sitting there. <laughs> what is the world coming to? Uh, space holes, apparently. Space holes. Yeah, apparently. That's there's where we answer. are. That's where we are. Well, this is going to be a fun minute to, to talk about. We have a lot of content here, plus uh, a rather extensive uh, bit of scenes involving Beth, our waitress, uh, finally kind of wrapping up the resolution of that story thread that we had. Uh, we, we're starting this, as you said, Pete, though, we've got this this mirror. And, you know, we I know we talked about this in yesterday's minute, the 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 decision to film the scene this way and i'm curious uh father david since we've talked about it a little bit but what are your thoughts on this shot do you think they're trying to say something more specific with this shot or is it just they're trying to do something creative and fun it's certainly shot as if it means something we have a reflection of captain america but it it's shield shaped that's the most that i kind of get <laughs> out of the mirror uh there's no moment of pause. There's no moment of reflection at the beginning of this minute. But however, <laughs> we do get some eventual uh, quiet recollection from Cap at the end of the minute. So maybe it's just a little bit of foreshadowing of what Cap actually needs. He needs some self-care in the middle of all of his caring for New York City. I'm relieved that you didn't have anything more substantive than that, because we fought for it. And we thought if Father David can't do it, no one can. No, I, I just think it's an interesting thought. I think it was, oh, you know, it'd be cool if we had like a mirror and you you saw him exit the scene by looking in the reflection of the mirror. That, that That's fine. We are in the fireworks display part of the movie. So I am OK with shots that just look cool and don't really mean a whole lot. Right. Well, and I suppose in the realm of stories that come from comic books, I would think that the comic book artists themselves are always trying to come up with a more creative way to draw a particular scene because to a certain extent, you know, just like filmmakers, you know, you can only do shot reverse shots so much. And there probably is this point where you're like, well, let's, is there something else we can do to make this a little more interesting and engaging? And that's, you know, it's kind of that same thing. Yeah. I don't think they're necessarily trying to say anything with it um but i do think that it is just it's an interesting way to to kind of show things where we're kind of um you know we can see cap we can see this chitari that 
that he's kind of taken down. And to a certain extent, it's like the first time we actually kind of get a lingering shot on a Chitari that's actually not moving. So we can go, oh, okay. So it's skin and then it's armor like built into the skin. Like that's really the only time we ever get to just study one of these things. <laughs> but they don't even want you looking at it. Like they put yeah. Cap in this tiny mirror so you don't even realize you had the opportunity to study a Chitari until it's too late. And teeny tiny Cap has wandered off. <laughs> your eye is drawn immediately to it. Andy, your point about the, the comic book imagery just made me think how this image would have been one of those iconic comic book panels because the artistry necessary to depict this image is of a higher level in in graphic design, graphic work than it would be in filmmaking because you would have to draw the reverse of Captain America in the mirror and make sure that everything was properly reflected. And I'm just reminded of the quote from the, the English journalist G.K. Cheston who said, why does a child draw a pig with its eyes closed? Because it's hard to do. So why show Captain America in a mirror? Well, because it's, it's hard to do, except with the camera, you can just point at it. And the, the technical artistry is not as impressive as it might be on the comic book page. Yes, we call that less hard. It's less hard. <laughs> it's less hard. Yeah. It's, I mean, it is a fun shot, and that gets Cap in motion. Now he's got a mission. He has to get down to this bank where uh, apparently uh, this is an interesting bit of the story because I guess what, um, what the Chitauri are doing is they're herding civilians into this bank. And then it's, it's a little – well, I guess I'm curious from both of you – what your impressions were of what these Chitari were doing with these people. Were they going to blow them up? Was that the intention uh, based on kind of everything going on with this bomb? Because I know we'll, we'll have a little bit more that gives us a little more detail when we jump into the deleted scene here. But was that kind of your impression from uh, just what we had in the film? Watching the movie, you get Clint's uh, radio instructions that they have these civilians pinned down, which implies that the civilians were in the bank first and then the Chitari found them. And we saw Beth cowering in some other storefront earlier and now she's here. And so in filling in the gaps, I, I made the assumption, oh, she made her way across town kind of with a big group of people and got pinned down by Chitari who are very quickly establishing house to house sweeps of New York City. And oh boy, I don't, I don't want to be involved in the strategic planning meetings for that at all. And it just, it seemed to me that there was a, a circumstance here. Now, how Clint knew about this movie, uh, logic, I guess. <laughs> right. He's on, let's remember, he's on the top, he's on 400 feet in the air on the top of a building. Let's just remember that. With a bow and arrow. Okay, yes. None of this makes sense. With, <laughs> But the deleted scene tells a different story. I I I struggle I struggle with it a little bit when you stop and and think about it because I no, don't really. under a little bit <laughs> yeah generally he says generously uh, because why because why Chitari why are they spending any time corralling people for what we only really get to see in the deleted scene I, I guess the results which is this like call out to holocaust imagery like they're mm. are, are they they're trying to do some things for what end like what signal are they trying to send they've been overtly killing civilians on the street why do they need to put them all into the bank for this 
image. I don't understand it. It is unmotivated to me for this for this agent of chaos, the Chitari, to be acting with such um, directed malice. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Well, that's what's so strange, especially because it's kind of hard to figure out what they're doing. It's like, okay, so I guess they have a bomb of some sort because it's beeping. And, you know, usually when something beeps in a movie, it's a bomb uh, beeping and blinking. But then it's like, okay, so then are the Chitari just going to, like, drop the bomb down there and then run out of the building? Like, it it doesn't really make a lot of sense. And then the whole uh, bit with Captain America stopping the Chitari and then... The bomb goes off, but it only seems to destroy the upper deck of this bank where the Chitari are, and it blows Captain America out because of his cool little move. I mean, that's that's it's kind a of the, cool the move. Mm-hmm. It's a very cool move. It's a very cool move. But so yeah, so it's kind of like okay, I guess I I I guess it's just it's just a bomb, but it's it's a very two dimensional bomb in that when it goes off, it seems to only detonate. Or X destroy access. anything, yeah, yeah, in, in just one plane. <laughs> and so I'm not exactly sure why exactly. And so I guess yeah, it ends up leaving a lot of questions, and we do get some more answered in the uh, deleted scene. But it just I don't know. Do we though? <laughs> the deleted scene raises more questions. Yeah, that, that are just pro- more <laughs> problematic. I mean, in, in the in the final cut of the movie, you can tell a story about oh the civilians were found by the Chitari, they're under threat and the Chitari are like oh any combatants in here no okay better pull out my war crime bomb and just toss it in there because i'm the bad guy (laughs) yeah (laughs) whereas in the i bet it says that on the back too if you flipped it over that doesn't make it to the title of this episode (laughs) then we're doing the job wrong andy uh whereas in the deleted scene you have Beth getting snatched off the street by a Jatari and then herded into the bank so that, as Pete pointed out, we can then have the Holocaust imagery of the glasses and the watch band and the ashes of human remains. So the Jatari have put up a system of a crematorium in this bank where they're systematically torching all these civilians, which is a weird strategic priority. Right. Well, and to that end, like, they even have, like, we see Chitari wandering around as, like, guards on the upper level. Why are they wasting any time doing this? To what end, Chitari? My question is, like, does this tie in more directly to the another deleted scene we had when Loki was talking to the other and and uh, you know he said that we're gonna you know when the other was asking what are you gonna do with all the I can't remember he had some term how he described the the feeble masses or something like that mm-hmm. and and Loki's response was mow them down and I just wonder if this was meant to kind of show oh this is the Jatari mowing them down this is how they're going to systematically start destroying bigger groups but it's still it just it seems so strange. And as you said, it it brings in some weird like Holocaust imagery mm-hmm. as because essentially as w- w- in the deleted scene, you know, as you said, Father David, they're gathering these people, herding them into this bank where they're on an upper level. And then I guess what the way that it seems to be set up is they drop this bomb down. And again, it's it's just a, a one plane bomb. It'll only destroy everything on that lower level. Uh, but it disintegrates it all. It disintegrates all of the the, peeing, the beings. And so, w- as we see Ashley uh, Johnson, our waitress, playing, or Beth, the waitress, she's walking and she realizes that there are glasses and jewelry on the ground and a whole bunch of ash. And suddenly I'm like, what is going on? Like, why are we jumping into this sort of like 
crematorium sort of imagery that we're getting created here. It just, it's so, uh, it just, I don't know what they're like. It, it, are they somehow also trying to tie this back to Stuttgart and our, and our German, old German man there? Like it suddenly is just really strange. There's not enough text in the movie to make that connection. I, I think another cut of this movie might have gone that direction. I'm glad they didn't because this is, as someone else has pointed out, this is already a 9-11 revenge movie. It doesn't also need to be a Holocaust revenge movie. The connection with Captain America does suggest that. It, it took me, however, a couple views of the deleted scene to pick up the significance of the glasses and the watch band because my first thought was not to go uh, systemic genocide, but to think interpersonal and like, oh, was there a character that the waitress knew who had right, glasses right. and a watch and they're dead and oh my gosh, I'm in danger? No, that didn't happen because she's barely in the movie as it is. She didn't have time to establish <laughs> other relationships and even that was it, that was where I went too because at the start of the deleted scene we have when they first flee the 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 uh, Pershing Street Cafe there is this other waitress yeah. that the camera kind of lingers mm-hmm. on as she cowers in a corner and I had actually went back and I'm like was she the one who had glasses on like is that because there would have been like a waitress connection like oh it was my friends but that's no, quite a snipe hunt you went on there Andy <laughs> well, I, 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 no. it sounds about as rewarding as one it's, I think the challenge that something. I have like you when, that's right, <laughs> right. when when you talk about about Captain America, and we'll say to Captain America, the first Avenger, even Captain America, the first Avenger didn't lean so heavily on Holocaust imagery like this. And it was about Hitler, right? Like it was about that war. I think that there is a certain sensitivity that is lost in this movie because this isn't that movie. You have to be, I think, in a superhero movie so delicate about this kind of illusion that X-Men, for example, pulled off perfectly because it was backstory that added weight to these characters in a way that that ends up meaning something later in the definition of their lives. This movie offers none of that. It's just Holocaust for Holocaust's sake, and that does not play. So I can see why they cut it. What is left is this hollow shell of purposelessness that is equally unearned. I don't understand the bank. That's that's the point. So I think we agree. It was a good cut. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and my hunch is they may have thought about trying to cut this entire sequence out because it it doesn't play still in a lot of capacities, but they needed some explanation for how Cap loses his uh, his hood. And I guess that is the big change <sighs> that we get with Cap here is that his, you know, this Jatari catches him and, and rips his mask off. And from here through the rest of the film, he won't have that. And Pete that is so likely may have been. He is so mad right now that that is the reason <laughs> for this scene. I'm just fuming. <laughs> I'm just fuming. I, it's so stupid. And, and oh, I can't even with that. Like, first of all, what is a cap? Come on, man. That mask. It does nothing. It's, it's like rubber. It's not a helmet anymore. It's just a rubber thing on your face. Well, it Get is it better than Batman's rubber beginning. mask. It, it does. It is made out of cloth, <laughs> so it, it can flex and come on and off without having to rip the whole thing off and get a new one. 
<laughs> right. The other thing that this scene does, I think, within the structure of the movie, that this is the reminder of Beth the waitress. Because I think one of the through lines that I do like about Beth's character throughout this section is that Beth is the face of New York for us. She is the innocence of New York. And I don't think it was a mistake that they got Ashley Johnson to play that because blonde, blue-eyed, beautiful young woman it captures that idea of innocence and something that needs protecting. And this scene presents the kind of the emotional beat of the story of the Battle of New York that we're kind of huddled and we're in danger and the Chitario are overcoming things. And now here come the heroes in order to save the day. And then the payoff is the little talking head segment we get with her on the, the news segment in the near the end of the film where, oh, the the innocence of New York was preserved. The day was saved because this this minor character who was the emotional core of the teeming masses of New York was able to survive. Yeah, there's definitely that. Uh, That's a big part of it. And, and I think the connection of that particular person to Steve, which we would have had from the early scene, early deleted scene when she serves him at the Pershing street cafe and uh, they have that conversation and Stan Lee has that cute little line about ask her for her number, you idiot. Like it was a great little scene that would have kind of created this connection between her, as you said, representing kind of the people of New York, the people of Midgard, really, and this superhero who is going to be protecting them. And I think that another key point of this scene that we that's much more emphasized because we had all of that other material, but it's it is when they finally get out of the bank after Cap has like been blown out, climbed off of the car where he lands. And uh, as she's coming out, she has a much longer moment kind of looking at him like almost there's that hint of recognition like, oh, wait a minute. And I I guess that's why they needed the mask off, because really, I wouldn't have known that that was Chris Evans under it otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) Could have been anyone. (laughs) That's right. So, you know, I guess that's the other thing is like creating that very personal connection between the two so that we have the resolution here um, as well. Mm hmm. And it is a fun fight sequence. I enjoy the physicality of this. I think they are able to do a lot with the choreography of the space. And, you know, also, I like the design of the war crime bomb because it's not just beeping and blinking, but there's the little knob as the physical timer as it go, it sinks into the rest of the mechanism, which was a level of effort that was not warranted for this particular plot device. But (laughs) I appreciate the, uh, the motion graphics and the computer generated uh, artists putting that effort into it. I do. I also love that there is a knob that the Chitari know how stupid touchscreens can be. <laughs> like sometimes you just need a knob. <laughs> well, when you have that mask on, you can't see very well. Yeah. So you need something. <laughs> yeah, and right, very right. sharp fingers. <laughs> yeah, you right, got to right, be right. able to turn. <laughs> Uh, you know, speaking of their uh, the mask, Pete, uh, this is actually an interesting moment where we actually, as Cap comes in, he hurls his shield at this first one who's holding the bomb, and it hits him right in the face. And again, this is just, you know, imagining all of the damage Cap's shield does that we never really see, but it, it hits this Chitari right in the face with its edge so hard that it rips the helmet completely off of it. It's actually the only time I think we really get to see a Chitari completely helmetless. Um, but it's like, 
imagine like this is the sort of damage that Cap is just going around doing. Yeah. Like this, this shield is like it is seriously, uh, honestly, it's probably slicing more people. In yeah, half taking than heads right really off see. is what we're talking about. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. We never even see that until uh, Doctor Strange uh, when we actually see this shield bifurcate somebody. Right. Mm. <laughs> Who gets sliced in half? I'm having a hard time remembering the Darth Maul of Doctor Strange. <laughs> it, it was in uh, Multiverse of Madness. It's um, it was a uh, Raimi slice. Peggy, no, yeah, oh. Peggy, a- a- Agent, Agent, uh, or Captain Carter gets split yeah. in half with the shield by uh, Wanda, Crazy Wanda. <laughs> yeah, crazy, crazy Wanda, <laughs> crazy old lady Romanoff. <laughs> no, not um, Maximoff. Uh, yeah, Maximoff. Right. Right. Get all right. my ovs mixed up. <laughs> so yeah, so the fight is cool. I mean, and again, that fantastic move Cap does, where he rolls over his shield and jumps up to hide behind it, so the bomb blast hits the shield and not him. Although there's plenty of him hanging out outside the shield, but that's beside the point. Uh, and it actually pushes him out the window. It's like, it is a fantastic move. And that's uh, that's really kind of like the highlight of this whole thing is watching that moment. That's the highlight because don't forget brooding Steve, like brooding Steve with a cut perfectly on his shoulder. That that could be a highlight. Just watching this hunk of America standing there and being <laughs> thoughtful. <laughs> I just mean the battle. But yes, this is very... <laughs> very steamy uh so but that does take us outside anything else in the bank that we want to talk about with the deleted scene with anything uh else uh leading up to the point where we're outside with steve the only other thing from the deleted scene that amused me so much was that you had the extras really playing up i have no idea what's going on oh where <laughs> you have beth's character pushing her way to the door while this doofus in a high vis vest is just gormlessly looking around like oh gosh if only someone would tell me exactly what to do to preserve myself <laughs> I, actually, we didn't even mention. Uh, we should call out though that poor Officer Saunders, he he oh. goes through the the process of getting given this uh, Chitari arm gun by Captain America himself, and he's roaming around, and he actually spots uh, Beth the waitress from across the rubble and calls her over, and then gets killed. He gets shot down right there in the street. It was like, God, I'm glad they didn't show us that. That was a horrible way to kind of, like, we get this cop who's being heroic, and then he's immediately killed. It is, it's awful. And right after he got the very good gun, the gun is very good. And he didn't make it. Makes me so sad. What a wordsmith. We would have lost a poet of our generation. (laughs) He did. All right, so Cap is outside. Uh, you know, he climbs off the the car. He's seriously. Oh, but what a way to get outside! Oh boy, that the landing yeah. on the car, the stunt work, and oh. the the way they frame that shot. Oh, it hurts. My body aches just thinking about it. The effects work for the car too, like just watching the body like crush that car. I mean, it 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 plays really well. And uh, Cap seems genuinely like like he has really been taking a beating and like he takes a minute to kind of get up. And this I mean, there is an extended bit here and we can talk about that a little bit. Um, uh, well, we can talk about it now. We can talk about it tomorrow because we kind of finish it tomorrow. But it really is kind of this this end beat here of Cap kind of in recognition of everything that's going on, all this devastation and destruction. Uh, do you want to talk about it more? Or should we talk about save it for tomorrow? It's It's mostly today. I need to talk about one thing. And it's just a call out because we have litigated this time and time again. That shield 
is messed up right now. Ah, <laughs> mm-hmm. Just saying, vibranium, not scuff resistant, is what this movie is teaching us. That is a messed up shield. Or is it just like paint job? I don't know, but it looks messed up from the car. Yeah. You know how often you have to buff that thing out? It's ridiculous. So much buffing. It's ridiculous. It really is. It cannot keep a shine to save its life. Nope. Well, we don't need to get into the science of vibranium nope, again. We're not going to. That's an entire episode. <laughs> no, there's an episode. <laughs> I don't remember what it was, but we went hard on vibranium. Yes. Yes, That's not did. for today, but it should be noted, and thus it is noted. Shield <laughs> is rough. It is it's very scratched up, very scratched up. Mm hmm. Well, you know, I suppose uh, maybe we should jump into our little Christ in the Cape segment. Oh, well, if you insist. It's why I showed up today. <laughs> well, uh, given given that, like I said, we're in the fireworks section of the movie, uh, I thought I would take a little bit of a different tack for Christ and the Cape uh, for today and tomorrow, because tomorrow we have a, a very big issue that I want to talk about uh, for Christ and the Cape. But Today, I want to get into more of more of a, a structural conversation about this movie in particular. Now, Andy, Pete, I know that throughout this season, you have made, been making the Tignataro joke uh, in reference to the writer-director of this film. Right. And, and that raises what's you know, been called the Bill Cosby problem. You know, what do you do oh, yes. with artists who are personally problematic? And that's too gentle of a word to talk about the, the sinful behavior that you know, these artists have done. What does that mean for art? And I want to point to a reality within the Catholic Church, because this is not a new problem. If you go to the Basilica of St. Peter's in Rome, you walk into the front doors and you are immediately greeted by two gorgeous sculptures of the artist Bernini. The first is that huge baldacchino, that big four-pillared bronze canopy over the main altar of St. Peter's. And through those bronze pillars, you can then see his bronze sculpture of the chair of St. Peter below that beautiful alabaster window of the Holy Spirit. And there's, you know, I don't know how many thousands of pounds of bronze between those two things, but generated due to the artistry and vision and ability of Bernini. And they are lasting treasures of monuments within the, the patrimony of the Catholic Church and point to theological realities, the canopy covering the place where the Apostle St. Peter was buried after he was killed in the first century, the altar, uh, the sculpture of the chair pointing to the power of the Holy Spirit radiating out into the church. So these are works of supreme aesthetic and theological significance made by a man who was deeply flawed. Uh, Bernini was uh, was known to have a fiery temper, so much so that one day he discovered that his brother had slept with his mistress. And so in a fit of rage, Bernini unsheathed his sword, chased his brother across the entire length of the city of Rome, from the neighborhood of St. Peter's to St. Mary Major, which is not a short trip and lots of hills in rome as you know and his brother bernini's brother had to take shelter inside saint mary major seeking sanctuary and it took the pope to intervene to end this blood feud but that still wasn't the end because bernini well since he wasn't able to use his sword on his brother he did some very ungentlemanly things to his mistress and yet 
his works of art remain within the Catholic Church, and his name is spoken by every tour guide, every art historian who talks about that space. What do you do? How do you square these two realities where you have sinful humans who are capable of, of making great works of art? The, the judgment that has to be made here is, is one about aesthetics. We can acknowledge the foibles, the flaws, the sins of the artist who creates something, but the aesthetic value, the goodness of the thing they make is independent of their moral character. And yes, we have to tell the story of the artist when we talk about these things, that these beautiful things that have endured for centuries came from people as flawed, and in some cases, more so than, than you and I are. But yet we keep them, we preserve them because there is a goodness in them that goes beyond their origins. Now, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that The Avengers is on par with Bernice Braun's work in St. <laughs> Peter's. There is a different aesthetic judgment we have to make for a superhero movie. And because of that, I think there can be more blame or opprobrium laid at the feet of a man like Joss Whedon, where uh, the, the structure of the movie, as has come up in many conversations about his treatment of female characters, even in the treatment of, of Beth, the waitress here, who gets no lines until the end of the movie in which she is thanking a man for saving her, that comes out of his own sinfulness, out of his own struggle with evil in his own life. And so we can judge the work based on that and hold that up as something worthy of critique. But there is no doubt that here we are, you know, 10 plus years on from the release of this movie, and we are living in Joss Whedon's world. If The Avengers had not worked as a movie, we would not be in this media landscape because this was the big gamble. And it came together. It remains a monument in the history of film that this thing worked. And it's because of what Joss Whedon was able to do as a writer and director. So there's no pat answer. There's no solution to this. We will always have flawed artists making beautiful things. We have to be honest about how those, thing, those two realities exist side by side in the world, that we can value what people do who are less than perfect, because otherwise, what hope is there for you and me? Well, one could argue that that ship has already sailed. I really think, you know, we're doing our best here. Yeah. But the other thing that I love that you're here to to say, what I got out of that uh, was that you appreciate our efforts to actually get the Pope to start referring to Ber Bernini as Tignataro. <laughs> I think that is the solution. You asked, what can we do? I think oh, we have, we now have a direction. <laughs> I didn't know it when we started. Now I do. <laughs> oh, my art history professor is going to be so mad if she hears this. <laughs> I, <laughs> I so appreciate that insight. And you know what? I mean, I'm I'm not going to lie to you. It, it actually there there is some um there there's some important weight that comes with that collar when you make that positional statement. And uh it I, I it's heard. I I hear it. And you know, yeah, we've been we we lean in hard on the Tignataro joke, but we also recognize that final point that 
this movie set the tone for a universe that we really love and that there are seminal creators in this in the architecture of the MCU that have left their thumbprint on these pieces uh in in a way that um you know we have to appreciate for for what they are and what they did mm-hmm. yeah i i think that there's a um uh, i mean there, I don't think we would be doing this podcast if you know if it hadn't succeeded. You know, I mean, I think that that's a big part of why you know we are here. And while I personally am not as much a fan of the Avengers film as as many people are, um, I still recognize that there was certainly a success in in the crafting of it and the way that they brought six characters together to kind of create this team and to create a film that largely works. And I mean. You know, I'm much more of a fan in the scope of of Joss Whedon's projects of of Firefly and Serenity. Like, mm-hmm. I haven't seen any any of his TV projects. Uh, Pete knows this, but of the films, like that to me is like such a fantastic story. I, I love the characters. I love that story, and I would take that any day over the Avengers or Age of Ultron. But it doesn't mean that there there isn't a lot of uh, strength in the comedy, in the storytelling, in the structure, and everything. And yeah, we are finding holes all over the place oh, as so we do this. Holes. But again, so that's the nature of this particular format, yeah. you know. And so it's easy to kind of tear down and find all these problems. But still acknowledging when you're watching it in an actual 143 minute window of time, uh, a lot of that stuff goes right over you because you're enjoying it so much, and it's it is very easy to to see. And and while you know we certainly you know I, I don't know I I have a lot of fun with the little Tignataro joke because mainly because I think it's so funny, sure. you know because <laughs> because the the whole replacement of these these actors and stuff like it's such a it's such a sudden shift that the the industry had like going from not hiring people anymore to suddenly we're just going to flat out replace kevin spacey through the entirety of (laughs) of all the money in the world and uh christopher Plummer, come on in like and then it's just like it's i don't know i think that it's just really interesting and i think it allows for a lot of interesting conversations in the shift of things and and we're certainly poking fun at it but also uh, acknowledging there's there is a problem but still we're here talking about the movie yeah Mm -hmm. such is the complexity of the human organism Uh, and yet here we are tell you what we're complicated Mm -hmm. yeah yeah well this seems like a great place to end today's conversation uh father david you're gonna be back with us tomorrow as you said for minute 120 you certainly have a lot to talk about in that one as well so uh tell everybody uh, what about uh the where people can find more about you and what you're up to podcasts you've guested on all that good stuff out there on the internet uh, you can find everything at fatherdavidmowry.com. That's F-A-T-H-E-R David M-O-W-R-Y dot com. I have a page there where ostensibly I've put together all of my guest appearances on the various Movies by Minutes uh, podcasts I've been on. Uh, it's an ongoing project. I'm Sometimes I forget which shows I've been on and someone reaches out and says, oh, Father David, you, you don't have my show on the page. Would would you be so kind of like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. It's just... Uh, <laughs> 
I, I have a cheese, I have a Swiss cheese brain, so I can't remember them all. So part of the reason that page exists is for me as well. To remember, like, oh, what show did I? Oh yeah, I did that one. Oh yeah, the Marvel guys. Oh, I remember them. Yeah, they were fun. So uh, check that all out there, uh, and uh, you can if you want a refresher on any of the Christ in the Cape segments from this previous season uh, when I was talking about uh, the fun that we were having in uh, in the plane and in Stuttgart. Take a listen to those. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. We certainly enjoy the conversation with you and everything you bring. My pleasure. And that's it. We'll be back again tomorrow with uh, Father David for Minute 120. So, Pete, thanks as always. Oh, Andy, tomorrow Loki catches an arrow and then catches the arrow. (laughs) Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Message to the World by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. <laughs>